and welcome to Sutra Sidewatch, Episode 7. I'm your host, Carmen Shustar, and with me is... I'm Brandon from Apollo City Comics. Dude, it's April. We're finally... It's actually Easter. It's it, 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 uh, <laughs> Easter is an appropriate <laughs> Easter film, too. Right? Um, yeah. And, you know, we... Man, we chose this... Well, I chose this month. This is my birthday month. And I specifically wanted to focus on this creator... Um, on some of his films one of these films we're doing this month I had not seen yet and I've always wanted to the second film we're going to do this month I saw as a kid and it like I wouldn't say changed my life but it just like hit me like where I live and we'll talk about it more next week but we are focusing on Ralph Bakshi I'm so excited this is so cool and we're doing Fire and Ice today which is like a legendary uh it's a really well-known film. You've seen it previously. I had not. Yeah, it's been it's been quite some time. I honestly can't even recollect when I last saw it. But watching it again, I remembered a lot of bits and pieces. But pretty much it was like, uh, yeah, it was just awesome watching this animation unfold throughout you know, it. Because this is the only one I've seen, for sure. It, it is such... Like, it looks visually amazing. There's so many reasons why it is visually amazing. Um, and I am going to start off off the bat with this one, is that this is probably the worst Ralph Bakshi film I've seen. Um, Dang. Yes. And it's it's not to, like, bash on it. It's one of those things where, like, everything that's wrong with it, there's so much good that you still need to watch this film and it's still, like, mesmerizing. It's, you can't even... My only issues with this film, and I just want to get him out of the way right away, is that... Uh, the story makes like zero sense and there's zero context and it's literally just like not, like you're why like why and like anything it's just like it's it's kind of like Joss Whedon's Justice League you're just like why is any of this happening like where, where, who are these people where do they come from what are they like why is this it's just like a it's a story of high adventure <laughs> yeah it's literally I wouldn't even say story of high adventure I would just say it's it's high just adventure. an adventure <laughs> yeah it's just yeah. high adventure um, there's barely di- uh, there's barely any dialogue <laughs> Dude, it's crazy. And I know exactly why, too. And we'll get into that. I'm so uh, curious. But first, uh, Ralph Bakshi. Um, do you know anything about him? Do you know just anything? Like, I'm curious. His about last name is Bakshi. And uh, that is as far as we're going to get today. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's, that's all I know. All I know. That is super interesting. Um, and I feel like that's a great starting point. <laughs> uh Dude, so Ralph Bakshi, he has done a lot of uh, films and a lot of very controversial films um, because of the subject matter that he touches upon. Uh, very, and and that's only due to the fact that he does very like adult-oriented films. Um, when you look at the era he came from, it's very much that EC Comics uh, type of era where like you know before Comics Code, before we had that like mind of shelter that we didn't take off until the eighties um, because of Frank Miller and everyone. He grew up loving uh, comics. Um, he was a very poor child from Brooklyn. He um, his family were uh, were immigrants that were running away from the Nazis, uh, and he started his whole career out basically like in high school where he got to take like a cartooning class and he realized very early on that he's like, I'm not that great, but you know what? I don't care. I love doing this. Like I love cartooning. I love, um, and he fell into animation due to that too. Uh, cause he just had a, a great passion for it. And I, I, re- I respect Ralph so much because he only has a handful of projects under his belt that are, that have ever really been released. 
but they are all like legendary movies uh legendary styles um and that's just purely because he did it for the love his first like job was for a company called uh it's looney something real fast let me check it out uh terry tunes terry tunes television cartoon studio as a cell polisher <clears throat> and he what do they produce i well okay i'm not too sure because terry tunes was one of you know when you look at ranking you know animation departments disney and stuff like that at yeah. this period uh they were at the very bottom oh they, wow okay they, they were they were the cartoon studio that nobody wanted to be at because none of them there apparently were very good but they all had a passion and a love for what they were doing they went in there and would draw for eight hours a day eight hours out of the day and go home and then come back and every day they're just working on their craft all the time and that's what ralph you know how he learned to like be like okay if i'm gonna do something i have to dedicate time and energy and he compared it to like he was a big stick ball player um on just like how many hours he'd have to like learn how to throw a curveball and like how many attempts and over and over and he knew it was the same process with drawing and he was never trying to get into Paramount, which was big at the time, or Disney, which was really emerging. He just he didn't like any of those cartoon styles. He wanted something older and classic and unique, and that was kind of dating before any of those shows, any of those companies. So he kind of just had a really strong upbringing and just had a passion for what he did. Uh, Fritz the Cat was a uh, Robert Crumb book, and he. <laughs> uh, we'll eventually watch this uh, movie because this is the most intense like can there's... i tell you real fast yes so my mom uh when she was long like before obviously before i was born when fritz the cat first came into theaters uh my mom told me like her and her friend went because they thought it was felix the cat yes and, that's and they're like they the went to the theater <laughs> they went to the theater watch this movie <laughs> And they left. I don't think they watched the whole thing. They left going, oh my god, oh my god, that's not, that's not Felix the Cat. What's happening right now? And they were so horrified. They were horrified. And they ran out of the theater because they had no idea. I didn't see Fritz the Cat to maybe like a year ago with my girlfriend. And I had shown her like American Pop um, and stuff like that. And I was like, hey, it's another Ralph Bakshi movie. Um, let's, let's check it out. Let's watch it. Oh, Wizards was another movie we had watched right before this which is awesome, totally cool. Um, and we were watching it, Fritz the Cat, and that's the first movie I felt like uncomfortable watching with my girlfriend. <laughs> and it takes a lot to make us uncomfortable for the stuff we've seen. And it's just, it's such a, uh, it's a very graphic film. Like it has the longest sex scene I've ever seen. Oh my God, and... <laughs> aren't those cats? Dude, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. You know, that might, I can, I'm okay saving this for last. Like I... <laughs> Of all the backstreet movies, we're like, hey, you want to see all of them? They're like, yeah, sure. You could, you could. I'll wait on that one. I'm okay. And it, it's so funny because the thing about uh, backstreet movies that I knew about a lot of his films. Um, when you watch Wizards, when you watch American Pop, um, and from what I've heard about, uh, what's the other really big one that got him super big? Uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, Lord of the Rings was another big one, and that's the first adaptation they ever made um, of Lord of the Rings. And that was uh, a coonskin. That's what I'm trying to think of. Coonskin. Um, yeah, that's the title. Coonskin. <laughs> oh, I was like, is that a what? <laughs> um, but Lord of the Rings, that was the first adaptation. And that's kind of a big thing that set him off uh, career wise, too. But he always tried to tackle very like 
you know, things that were wrong with humans and how we destroy stuff. And when you watch Wizards, you're just immediately just like, that's the direction we're going. When you watch American uh, Pop, which we'll do next week, that, that's, that's our next episode. It is such a beautiful and captivating film. Um, musically, the story it tells, like it's a generational tale. It's, uh, it's just mesmerizing. Um, what was I saying? Uh, Coonskin does the same thing. It kind of tackles some of those subject matters that were hard to t- talk about then. But he's always he grew up in New York as a poor kid. He didn't, you know, he was never racist. He's I think he's a Jewish guy too. Um, he he never really saw like these flaws or errors that you know a lot of our society is unfortunately consumed with, and he yeah. wanted to point those out through his art. And again, you know, he as he continues as an artist, he's like I've, I've never been the best art art in our movies. I've never been the greatest. Um, when I started up my own production company, like I hired all the guys from uh toontown um and is that the what the place is called i forget what that place you said uh it was toon studios or uh, i forgot it already yeah it's one of those names terry tunes terry terry tunes yeah um he brought them all on because he knew they were hard workers and they just dedicated to the craft he's like the problem with today's like generations um is that people want you know people don't know how to just suck and just like suck forever and you know still be accepted by that style and have that become their style everyone is like the jim lees you know everyone just comes out too perfect too on it like you need that like you know that flaw in your work yeah and you know i i passed you know the most recent apollo episode we did uh we talked about stuff like that on the underrated overrated episode um on how that perfection can kind of just like not make it as captivating and yeah because it's just it feels too I don't know. It doesn't grab you. If yeah, that, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, you know, even what they do here, I, I, I wanted to start the show like this, but the word of today is rotoscoping. Do you know what rotoscoping is? Rotoscoping, it's a type of animating, right? Isn't it an animation style? Yes, it is an animation style. Uh, do you know what it involves or anything? I feel like a lot of heavy drawing, but I, I honestly don't know. I'm honestly. Okay, no, yeah. I had to look this up. I had to do a bunch of research on it. Um, and this is you know, when you look back. Have you seen the animated Lord of the Rings? So that I've seen. I want to say clips. I've seen parts okay. of it where it was on TV once, and I saw like a small battle portion, but uh, nothing. I just was like, "Oh, yo, Bormir's, Bormir's got a Viking helm," and then I was like, "Cool, commercial, right back." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I should, honestly, I need to watch it because I'm <laughs> honestly, Lord of the Rings is probably one of my favorite things, and I still haven't even watched that cartoon, which is insane. Maybe we could touch base on it next year or something because it's it's I want to rewatch it myself. It's been years since I've seen it, but it's really apparent there. It's not so apparent in this one, but rotoscoping essentially what they do is they film the movie live action. They have two guys, you know, all oh. the battle scenes, everything, and then they animate over that. And so, so that's why it looks know- so real, like in yes. terms of the movement. Exactly. That's why all the figures are just so. It's different for animation, you know, and our previous two episodes on, um, on Castle in the Sky and Nausicaa, I was saying like, you know, a two hour animated movie. This blows my mind for this era. You know, Fire and Ice came out in 83 and this is an hour and 20 minutes. Um, but look at the animation difference between all this and look at the movements and like what you're saying. Like it just seems more human it, and it's more fluid and everything, too. It's because that's all real actors. Um you know, they had props, you know, if they're climbing a mountain, they would get, you know, those things that painters have, the like yeah. steel frames. Yeah, they'd be climbing one of those and then they would just animate over it. Um, so Ralph, that was kind of his uh, 
cartooning style for a lot of these films. And you'll notice that's the same way in American Pop too, which is kind of why I wanted to combine these two films because they're two films where it's very prominent. Uh, Lord of the Rings, you could kind of see the live action bleeding through the animation, um, especially when you see the horseback scenes and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I just think rotoscoping is a very interesting way to do stuff. And it's, uh, I don't see it anymore. I don't know another genre like oh not genre. is it expensive like i would assume not because ralph really didn't have the funds to like do high-end stuff you know um and that kind of segues way us to who worked on the film this uh, the screenplay before we talk into the art and all that type of stuff because there's some legendary stuff with the art there's some legendary stuff going on with the screenplay writing um and that's where we kind of address some of the issues that happened in this film the script was written by Jerry Conroy and Roy Thomas. They are two of the biggest comic book uh, contributors uh, in the 70s. Jerry Conway, um, very famous for his Death of Gwen Stacy uh, issue. Oh. Creator of the Punisher. Um, they both worked on a whole bunch of Conan the Barbarian comics. They I see are... that he wrote the Conan movie, apparently. Yes. Yeah, and that was a dope movie. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the movie. Story of dope. high adventure. Dorian <laughs> age. Yes, yeah. it's so awesome. And uh, me personally, I have like I'm slowly I I am like really interested in Conan the Barbarian. I love that whole just, you know, that whole genre of that, you know, high adventure kind of savage I, beast. I don't know stuff. if I told you. I was always um I I'm a fan of Mike Grell's uh The Warlord from DC. Oh, you are. Yeah, I, know, I never told anyone that. Thank yeah, dude, that stuff's always so dope. Cool. I love that's, that. Like, dude, that's yeah, a, the that's a comic stuff, I've man. been trying to like find a gateway into for so long. I have one of the issues. I've always been fascinated by it. When they've brought it back recently, I'm just like, dude, that's Warlord. That's that's so cool. Like, that's awesome that you say that. You gotta you gotta come in on an Apollo episode and we're talking about Warlord. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can just start from the beginning. Honestly, there's so much to talk about with it. But anyway, yeah. yeah. But that yeah, it's I love that that genre you know that high fantasy kind of barbarian genre um so yeah i mean you have two great writers uh for the time they're very dated type of writing jerry conway started when he was like in high school working for dc dude um he just got lucky they didn't even know how old he was and he was just sending in scripts and they were putting them out oh really and, yeah and then they were finding oh out they're like God. This guy's sixteen, <laughs> like and it just they're just got he's just been in the industry since then um very outspoken about how people use the Punisher logo and how he's very against police officers and stuff that's going on with it today. Uh, it's he recently did an interview about with with Brian Bendis because they both created uh, characters that were in like the Black Lives Matters protest. However, people were wearing and uh, Miles's logo. Um, on one side and the other side we're wearing the Punisher logo and oh, that's... Uh, one was for like hope and one's kind of going against that and how corrupt that was and he's like they don't understand what the Punisher's about because they wouldn't if the Punisher was real all those people would be dead I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> hmm. but yeah I mean it's one of those things you have two great writers on this and I was listening to an interview with Jerry Conway and he was talking about his experience on fire and ice uh, i don't know much about roy thomas's experience uh and i couldn't find the interview before this uh, i was digging through interviews to try to find the clips but he apparently was saying that they wrote a two-hour movie 
um, and it really just goes into the lore. It really goes into the characters and their importance and their arcs, and they really got to flesh this thing out, and they worked really hard on this whole entire film, and it sounds like a very epic and blown up. It sounds like we saw a teaser in this film or a trailer when they wrote the film, like they wrote the epic saga, you know? Uh, and he's like, all you kind of get is a minute of information at the very beginning of exposition and then you're kind of just thrown into like the wilderness and Ralph kind of just tossed out the script and kind of just did his own thing from there on and you know he was being asked what it was like to work with uh, Frank Franzetta who we're going to get to right now um, legendary painter um, he did the, the poster that we all see for Fire and Ice that's an oil yeah. painting he did like it's beautiful dude Franzetta is legendary you know um He's like, we got to talk to Franzetta for about two minutes and we never saw him again after that. So you didn't even have to get to have that connection with him. Uh, but yeah, apparently this film was like a two hour epic high fantasy story. You know, guys that are writing great comic books and uh, legendary stuff and creating amazing things. And they're just like, it just, it never happened. So I don't even consider that part of my legacy in a sense, because it really wasn't anything I made. And it's kind of unfortunate, you know, it's one of yeah. those things. It's like you kind of got ripped away from that. And I'm curious what the original script was like. Maybe it could be online. I'm not too sure. I've never tried looking that up. Do we, did they ever say why Bakshi decided not to utilize that? Bakshi show, you know what I mean? Like it's one of those things. And it's, you know, and I can't even like, I I have like a, uh, a growing passion for Bakshi because of how, how he was brought up and his vision and how he does stuff and um, even when he talks about Fritz the Cat, how he did the animation, and it's just so much personal work that he put into it. Um, I don't know why he would do that. I think it was just like he was so focused on the art aspect because that's what he did. You know, he was the artist. He was a, you know, the guy that put the stills together. He was the director and the visionary kind of behind it. I think that clouded the story aspect, how you know rotoscoping and how it was going to visually be, and working with Frenzetta and stuff like that. Um, I feel like that might have gotten in the way maybe budget maybe just like he didn't realize the importance of the story at that point hmm. um, I feel let me see the timeline of when this came out on his work his uh, Ralph's work himself I want to say this is one of maybe one of his first movies um, oh no okay this is super interesting too okay so Fritz the Cat, Heavy Traffic, Coonskin, Wizards, Lord of the Rings, American Pop, Hey Good Looking, Fire and Ice, and then not that's nothing. the order. Yeah. Of the oh releases. my god, that's yeah. so yeah, that's weird. Yeah, that's super surprising because Fritz the Cat has a, b- a better story. Than this, honestly, I want to. It's it's crazy too because it's like, I guess if you showed me all the posters or like all the, you show me the title and the cover of each of these films like the one i'd gravitate towards probably is this one just because mm-hmm. it looks so epic like epic. yes you have dark wolf who's basically 80s animated batman yes. that's a barbarian and you're just like this is the most amazing and he uh, is voiced by uh let me double check it again steve sander who is I, I honestly don't think he's really in anything of note too much like looking at his stuff maybe some old western tv shows and night like i think he was on an episode of night rider or something looking at his imdb but i'm also uh, curious if he did his own acting in it like i know he might have done the voice but like 
if he did the movements too oh yeah any of the actors and actresses because a lot of them too like looking at them none of them have actual mtv pictures and it's like the cast here yeah. doesn't look like they're known or did much at all compared one of the to the girls like, uh worked on the simpsons i forgot oh. which one um like yes. worked on it as one of the voice actresses yeah. or mm-hmm. okay yeah um Interesting. and she was on season one she came in i only i read that and she did some other stuff with the simpsons but you can't even find wikipedia pages like what you're saying i i really this is so like and now i really really want to see the old script because it's going to make me kind of sad knowing that there was something that could have been more and we're at this weird point in time too where all of a sudden now everyone's doing like hashtag bring something back or continue this and stuff <laughs> right? like that and you just it makes you it just jumps into the mind of like you know what if you did do that you know i'm just saying <laughs> i want to i would love to ask jerry about that like if i ever get to meet him i've never had the opportunity to talk to him at a con and i wouldn't have known at the time if i did because i've it's really been the last like three years i've really dove into bakshi um i think at the start of the pandemic that's when me and kato really started watching his films um but before that i'd only seen i grew up on cool world for some reason like i don't know I think that's it, one it, of he, Brad Pitt, right? Yes, yeah, one of it's Brad Pitt, um, one of his first movies, <laughs> and I, I I saw that movie so much as a kid, and then I remember watching it like post high school and just being like, "How did I ever enjoy this? This is just so rough." Uh, I have to I've, again maybe revisit that too at some. It's point. like adult Roger Rabbit practically, right? It really like, is, yeah. From what I remember, yeah. And I just I just remember it being bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Dang. we got i definitely got to check that out for sure um but what was i saying yeah you it's kind of bizarre because all wizards is another one that had a great story and actually you know speaking of bring back there's supposed to be a wizards 2 like a sequel and it sets it up for a sequel too oh, really? um, and ralph said like three or four years that he was working on it that that's like underway still um, granted that film came out like in 1980 1977 <laughs> um, and maybe one day you know hopefully before Ralph passes we get that Wizards 2 film and that's that's one I think you would really enjoy and it's something you'll see some of the characters in but like I've always wondered what that guy was and I never knew but now things make sense you know kind of a pop culture like hidden gem type of thing but... looking at like his work it looks like the last thing he did was in 2015 and it was like a short Yes, the last days of Coney Island. Yeah, um, yeah that's so available really, online that you could check out too. It looks like honestly, he stopped like all the way back in the early nineties. Like it, it was Cruel World, and, like his last one. Pretty much, and it's one of those. That was ninety two. Okay, I don't really understand yeah. why he stopped either. Uh, it's I think he just got older and slowed down, and things kind of just stopped happening. I I really don't get why he did um maybe of course he is you know granted his age too like right now ralph is 82 he was born in 1938 and his heyday years were what the 70s 80s and then the 90s so it's not bad for like a career either but it's kind of surprising how he didn't just keep pushing stuff out you know just keep on rolling with stuff and maybe it's because now he's doing a hand hand-drawn stuff and i remember last days of coney island was a, a kickstarter campaign too um but apparently he quit the animation industry completely um and he just sells art on his 
you know, if you look at his uh, Wiki, uh, his Wikipedia, um, his Instagram and stuff like that, he, you'll see him post art and whatnot still. And but it's still just, like just new produced stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, you know, interesting. Or just like okay. sketches from like wizards and stuff like that. It's kind of interesting. But I don't know. Um, he's just, it's real fascinating how his whole career is and his like input to the animation world because of that and really making, I got to look more into rotoscoping to see how that came about. But if I feels like he was a pioneer and one of the few people that made it work. Um, but let me see. We talked about the writers, Jerry Conway, Roy Thomas. They kind of got screwed over. Uh, one of the big things before we kind of start talking about the film itself, I know we want to get there, but sure. uh, Frank Franzetta, dude, uh, how much do you know about Franzetta? If you do, did he do like just? I feel like he's done a lot of high fantasy art. Where like, I guess if it's something really, really famous that I've probably seen, it's probably from him. I would assume. You, Is it uh, like that kind of thing? Have, do you know of uh, Joe Mongolio's uh, Deathstroke? His uh, Death Saves Company. I do his, not know his D and D company that he runs. No, I, I I only recently found I think from you that he does a D and D oh like, stuff, and I was like, what? Um, yeah, that's super funny, uh, nerd, right? Um, but it's super funny. He has this whole Franzetta line, and I discovered Frank Franzetta as a kid when internet was first becoming a thing like in the early 90s and i remember being on the computer and I, I don't know how i came across this image it's a painting called death dealer and if you look it up you'll see it and you'll probably recognize it right away yourself um but it's basically like this black knight with this epic axe um uh standing on a horse and i saw that have you seen it do you, does i'm about? about to look it up right now while you tell me about it <laughs> um i saw it as a kid and i was like this is the coolest fucking thing in the world what is this and dude i was like in elementary school and i saw this oh, wow. like i printed out a copy in our crappy printer and i put it like in a notebook and everything and i had it for years and as i grew up like and i just started discovering conan the barbarian and i was like man these paintings on these covers that's kind of what drew me into it like how epic it just felt like that you know if you look up any of the conan frenzetta stuff uh there's actually a mezco oh this is really out. dope okay it's, oh yeah it's really yeah it's really awesome there's a, uh, a a new mezco that again like with the batman 89 i'm gonna rent real fast that they put out last year for pre-order and it still hasn't shown up and no updates on it at all but they're doing a mezco uh they did one on death dealer and now they're doing on one on frenzetta's uh conan the barbarian and uh, I pre-ordered that just because it's the Franzetta style Conan, and it's like two of the coolest things in the world. Um, but the thing, <laughs> the thing about Franzetta is he got his start with uh, like EC Comics and did a bunch of cool stuff, and that's where he made his name. And um, when he did the Conan covers, he had never read Conan books. He just like made these paintings, and they fit the stories so well and perfectly. Wow. They just put him on with the books. It wasn't until later on that he really even figured out like who Conan was and read into him. Like I thought that was really interesting. And also when you look at uh, his characters, they are, I mean, it's like, it's very artistic. It's, you know, oil paintings typically. Um, the women are all very that high fantasy, very thick and kind of not yeah. even like that. Uh, <laughs> like that, not like that perfection uh uh, J. Scott Campbell, Jim Leap version, like they do have curves and they do have, you know, like your par party pouch and whatnot. You know what I mean? Like the little <laughs> belly gut. And it's like, that's the way he's always drawn his people. And 
they you know ralph asked him one day he's like you know hey you know why don't you draw with uh with models i'm just curious and he's like when you draw with a model it's already complete like it's in front of you it's already done well what are you contributing what are you doing i want to draw stuff from from nothing from art and really create art so dude he never used live models he just like drew and that's what came out and i thought that was like the most interesting thing in the world because i mean when you look at like alex ross the guy who is known for a live model for every single thing he draws every panel every cover art he has his oh, yeah. dress up and all that and he coincidentally has bodybuilder friends um, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that makes sense it's just it's such a fascinating thing that look now yeah i only heard that this morning um looking at his artwork now i'm like damn dude you you just had the greatest imagination and when you look at franzetta he looks like what's the guy i'm thinking of uh the rebel without a cause kind of guy you know what i mean like he had the kind of kind of comb back and a spiky hair uh white shirt like that was kind of snug and jeans and like tucked in he was very much that 50s vibe kind of tough guy looking dude and even on fire and ice he was help doing help coordinating the stunts and helping these actors like move move and help them figure out their movements for the fights and everything like this dude just he was a badass <laughs> like he just knew what was going on um and while making fire and ice that's when frank started getting really sick and he had a few strokes and ralph was always taking him in and out of the hospital and the last kind of like act of the film uh he was right-handed he couldn't use his right hand anymore so he had to start drawing uh with his left hand and i don't know i can't even tell like that's how fucking wow. amazing franzetta is you know what i mean like this dude had strokes while making this movie can't he became ambidextrous like on the spot basically to finish the work dude that's crazy i can't and oh i didn't know he passed in yeah 2010 so 11 yeah. years ago pretty mm -hmm. much i wow. really didn't realize that either because that's when i graduated high school and i was not in the comic book universe at this point at all but Dang. but yeah i mean franzetta they basically approached him because uh you know his contributions to this uh genre and a lot of the stills you could even tell like certain um, parts of the film which which are franzettas because they just have a a mood and a tone to them um also one of the background painters for this film i always space out his name uh, i'm gonna see it right now uh da, 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 da. Da, 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 i'm so sorry um peter chung peter chung is really known for his like style of animation um because he is the creator and director of eon flux oh interesting okay Mm-hmm. and he did backgrounds for this dude uh it's kind of uh kind of like the layout artist essentially is what he ended up doing um and they would you know all these backgrounds and everything do they had almost 200 um paintings they had to do for this film uh and it's all hand done nothing's computer everything's everything is hand done on this movie which is even more insane not only are you filming it live action with props and then animating over it by hand but like all the movements all the stills it's just layers it's just like what we were talking about last month just like kind of shifting things around and it's it's so crazy because you don't ever get animation like this anymore you, know? you really don't it's it's looking at modern day you see other animation studios closing at least for like you know the big films that are going to come out to the point where it's very much like you're either not disney and pixar or you're not 
like maybe your DreamWorks, but otherwise mm. there's nothing else besides, you know, regular animation on cartoons and stuff on TV and nothing is even close to that. Animation's a lot more, I don't know even how to describe it, but there's nothing of that tier, that scale anymore whatsoever. It's It's kind of insane looking back. You know, and kind of to comment on that too, uh, Brian McDonald, um, he's a really big uh, speaker and writer and creator, uh, director, screenwriter. He has a podcast called You Are a Storyteller that I really admire. And if you're a creator or just trying to like live life um, and understand things through a certain lens, uh, it's a great show to check out. But when he was uh, teaching and uh, doing stuff, he would see uh, kids that were just always trying to do like manga and anime style drawings and he would try to turn them on to be like hey like everyone is doing this like kind of have you know try to push them to find their own style like what ralph did um but all of them were very much driven in that single format and style and form Mm -hmm. and he's like you need to add personality you need to add like flavor and stuff like this and flaws just like what ralph was speaking about and that's exactly what you know it's pertaining to what you're saying is that it's all become very cookie cutter you know that jim lee style you know that dc comics style um and that's something that was just so different and unique and i feel like that might be why ralph pulled away from the uh animation industry because he's just like it's not what it was and it's never going to go back to that you know uh fire and ice is just it doesn't compare to even Batman the Animated Series, you know? <laughs> like, it's just such a big gap in techniques and styles used. That's true. Yeah, and they're just completely night and day different. And yeah. It's funny, too. You look at a lot of the animation now, and a lot of it is, like you said, cookie cutter. It, it doesn't feel like... It, it feels more, I guess, when you look at it at the end of the day, at least if you look at the average cartoon on TV, uh, if you ask me what style, I'd say, oh, budgeted. <laughs> Yeah, right. Like, yeah, I just yeah, say, oh yeah. yeah, it's budgeted style, and they're like, really? Like, yeah, that's. It looks like very quite limited. Like, there's a lot of reins on that, obviously. Mm-hmm. But this is, yeah, the complete opposite. You feel, I don't know. It just feels so much more. I guess maybe it is due to the rotoscoping and all that nature, but it, it I don't know. It, it looks so special. Yeah, I don't even know how to describe it. Like everything about it just feels so cool and it's like i look at it and i say like if you show me a disney film now versus this they'd be like oh what's the difference like well this one's art (laughs) what and i'm like yeah i'm sorry it just i don't know it just feels like art and it's like isn't that one art i'm like well yeah but it doesn't i don't know it doesn't speak to me as art at this point maybe it's because it's like a, a lost animation style that it feels like that now. It feels like something that's historical mm-hmm. over something that's like a long line of just like successful high, like high theatrical budget films and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it, exactly, it just does all that, honestly. It is. And that's what I meant, like the very beginning of this show is that like what the story lacks, like all these, all the art that's in it, it's just, it captures you. Like there's, the creatures that you see the way things move um the flow the pacing it all just like really resonates for some reason and i feel like us watching this it's 2021 this film was made in 1983 i'm sure it was in production for like three years before that the way it was all made it's i feel distant from it i think that's why you know like it's something we just haven't had in so long something so raw and just pure passion poured into it um and that's something Ralph said. He's like, you know, 
like what I said earlier, you know, this, it may not be the greatest, but you know what? We completed it. And that's more than what a lot of places or companies can say. Uh, yeah. And you can definitely see that in some point. Well, definitely the story. <laughs> but um, it is, it's something you can't look away from. I, you want to watch to see what happens. You want to see what new area you're going to come across next. And when you watch American Pop, you're going to feel the same way. Like it's, All right. oh man, oh, that movie. Um, <laughs> but I guess, I guess onto the film. I, I don't know how many other facts or spiels I have. Yeah, it's this. like, what else, like, what else do you got, man? Because <laughs> I got, I, I'm very much like, it's, it's funny because like, yeah, you're, telling me all this stuff because you definitely have studied this a little bit and like gone through a lot more where i'm like yeah watch this movie that's it well i just i don't know (laughs) and you know a lot of this like my whole thing with bakshi it wasn't purposeful it kind of like intertwined into my life uh i grew up you know i saw cool world as a kid and i didn't register till years till recently where i realized that bakshi is the one that made it um my uncle had a copy of american pop and i'd seen him watch it like you know like while i was over when i was a kid or something and i i've always just seen that movie laying around you know american pop and it just I, that name stuck out to me and it's always just been like i was familiar with it and i'm also like one of my favorite movies in the world is the heavy metal animated movie from the 80s and this kind of has a very similar animation style i actually i thought they were the they same did. thing yeah you thought you <laughs> when i was like, yeah because i watched them around the same time those are the only two i've seen of like that era was okay. those two and i that's why i thought when i watched them I'm like oh cool so some dude made these two movies that's crazy and i didn't know there was anything else i just thought it was those two when i was younger i i wonder if they did do rotoscoping and heavy metal we got to maybe sneak an episode in there and check it out because it is just such a uh imaginative amazing thing and what's crazy about both of these movies too and i want to say it was the same person um who was trying to bring it back but uh Wait, give me one second. Wait, 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 wait. Um, what they wanted to do. Uh, oh no, different people. Okay, so this is this is kind of cool too. It relates to everything. Um, Robert Rodriguez wanted to redo uh Fire and Ice. Really? And yes, he got the rights to it. Um, I think in like 2015, and he started talking about wanting to remake Fire and Ice. Like an animation or live action? Uh, I think kind of an animated version um oh 2010 he did it um oh no live action remake of the film um and then back she didn't want any involvement with it but he agreed to license the rights to uh, rodriguez um and the closed deal you know right after friends had died in that 2010 area um sony pictures acquired the rights for it in 2014 um but it just—it's been kind of in a limbo. There's no real updates besides that. So it's like going next to uh, Machete Kills in Space, where you're just kind of <laughs> like, I really, because I'm not, dude. I, I, I people, I probably haven't said it here, but Rodriguez is one of my favorite directors. Oh um, yeah, yeah. He, he, he very much like you know, I grew up with him with Spy Kids, and then all of a sudden I got like Machete, and I'm like, oh my god, and I, I went back and I watched, you know from dust till dawn and the mariachi trilogy and those are oh, all the amazing mariachi trilogy is so fucking good it's, it's one so of those amazing things, yeah. it's so yeah it's just oh, it's so good but yeah it's uh which we're i won't you know I'm just, i guess we could say it now like we're gonna we'll, we'll do a mariachi not mariachi but a rodriguez movie in july because that's my birthday month and that's what i want to mm-hmm. do yeah <laughs> so exactly. that's gonna be a um uh, but 
yeah, dude, I, I I can't even now that you're saying that, especially also we got recently like Elite Battle Angel and oh, we're just getting all this interesting right. stuff. I'm just like because now people want a second Alita movie and you're getting all these different things where I'm just like, I feel like all this stuff I want Rodriguez to do is stacking up to that point where it's becoming like Del Toro. Oh. Del Toro because he gets so many projects and then all of a sudden they all fall through and you're just like oh my god this yeah. is so disappointing and it's you kinda... want their vision of it you know yeah like, and, and then the ones you great. do get they're cool but they're not like I don't know it feels like they're missing something each mm-hmm. time you get a Del Toro movie and I'm like man this is I don't know it's just I don't know it's, it's just kind of crazy how that just keeps happening and now you're gonna make me go into a whole research frenzy I feel like after this and a couple other things <laughs> Yeah, it's it would. I think it'd be an amazing thing, and I feel like this kind of genre will. At maybe it's not the right time for it. Maybe the superhero genre is still taking up too much space, mm, and there's sense. not like a high fantasy, like really big push or calling right now. But I, I, it's funny. One of the biggest stories I've worked on as a creator is very much like a high fantasy um, inspired story, and it's something I've just been craving and trying to find the right time to like really just dive into that world, you know. Um, I haven't played Conan in Exiles for a bit by myself because I was just like, I have no one to play this with, but it's Conan and I'm going to check it out. Is it, it good? And I just, uh, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> definitely. definitely yeah. We'll get online together and do it. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> so we'll it's just like, man, <laughs> I'm just doing, this is taking way longer than it should take anyone. You kind of need a team. But um, Also, they were going to re um, do another either reboot or do another heavy metal movie as like a third one or as like a reboot of the first one and that didn't that didn't happen um, and the people that were going to create it were Tim Miller and David Fincher and what that ended Fincher? up Fincher? Yes, Fincher, yes Seven, oh, yeah. Fight Club, everything, yeah um, that didn't end up happening but what they basically did was like okay we you're not calling it heavy metal we're calling it Love, Sex, and Robots I still have to watch that. I, been, um, I I still need to watch that. I haven't seen all of it, but the like few episodes I have seen, awesome. Like just too cool, too much fun. And I'm like I I read heavy metal magazine. I have a whole I have a whole like you know couple years worth of issues. Um, it just fits the short story kind of genre for that for that type of anthology series, you know. But. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's these are legendary films, legendary animated films that just like need to come back. Like, why why aren't people paying more attention to it? You know what I mean? Like, this is the stuff yeah. that like I feel like would just do amazing, and it's kind of just like a big. Uh, I don't even know. It's like, just a, of, it's a dormant genre. Yeah, exactly. Very much so. Very much so. And I don't think enough people. I think it was getting big in the seventies and eighties and. That's why I'm really into like Michael Moorcock, and that's how I got into like Hawkwind and uh, Elric. I'm a big Elric fan, um, uh, and that ties into like Blue Easter Cole and stuff like that. Like also, all, all these things kind of mesh together, and then like you realize like I all of a sudden I make sense like as a human being. Like I mean, <laughs> I feel like the high fantasy always matched that with like the more metal style music and things like that. Like it, mm-hmm. it's very much hand in hand, and I won't lie, like I, I've always just barely glimpse the surface of it just because uh when it comes to fantasy you know i'm in more of the traditional like you know lord of the rings yeah stuff like that and Same. they're completely yeah. different uh like i guess when you look at it when you're talking about like uh uh Franchetta and stuff uh you know he's 
at least I was looking at what it said online, like, he's the godfather of high fantasy. Mm-hmm. And then you look and you're like, oh, who's the godfather of regular fantasy? Like, are there like that more? And it's like, oh, Tolkien yeah. and uh, Alan Lee. Like, you look at the Alan mm-hmm. Lee artwork and it's completely, completely different. It's like so amazingly different. And, you know, both of them do amazing things in completely different ways where, like, you just see the eye of Sauron and his, like, design oh, or, like, the beautiful yeah. back. It's It's just all... There's so much there, and, you know, they're finally, you know, Amazon's making a Lord of the Rings show, mm-hmm. which yep. will be interesting, and we're we're barely getting any fantasy, but we're still getting some in different aspects, like, you know, we had Lord of the Rings in the early 2000s, and we had now, I guess if you can count it, like Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones mm-hmm. kind of scratched that itch for a bit, where it was like political fantasy and stuff, Yeah, there you and go. now we have The Witcher, and, you know, they're, they're kind of differentiating, and but they're also doubling down like Netflix yeah. is going, Hey, let's make like three or four different Witcher shows. And HBO is like, Hey, let's make like six more game of Thrones shows. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, it's just interesting seeing how these things are taking effect. And then Amazon's doing that with Lord of the Rings, but they're all very, very big, uh, properties now. And I feel like even though it's big properties, you're not really seeing anything small or anything new come in at the same time mm-hmm. where it has to be something already established to succeed in today's world. Um, but maybe you're right, like in a post super once, you know, I don't know, somehow the MCU finally stops <laughs> eventually in 80 years, like we might get like uh, something that could be different and bring back high fantasy bring that stuff that schwarzenegger had you know that's funny notice everything and this is exactly what you're saying uh but everything you named is kind of what i grew up with like i grew up on like lord of the rings and you know i read the book actually i got to read the book while i was on tour with my band so reading a book about you know a long travel and then doing that in a van it was just like very connected with me very much at that point um and you know all the, the witcher and everything you're naming it's such accessible fantasy. It's like the first thing you see on the shelf. It's the first thing to draw you in. And the fantasy. Baby's first. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. I, I have like, I, I'm glad that the HBO show seems to dive a lot more into the Similarian because that's a book I've always been very interested in. And I've, I'll i be the Amazon one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Amazon yeah. one. Um, did I say HBO or something? Yeah. Or HBO, yeah. Oh, <laughs> each one, basically each, each network is, or each like studio is getting, they're each picking one of something like, oh, I got Lord of the Rings. I got Witcher. I got Game of Thrones and expand from there and stuff like that. And they're all like these stories that are great. Fantastic. I'm fans of them all. I'm going to watch, read, check it all out. But look how accessible The Witcher is right now for Netflix and the video game and the books and everything. And then look how accessible anything Lord of the Rings is. Everybody knows about Lord of the Rings. Everybody um, is knows about Game of Thrones. The books are super accessible. Um, the HBO show is phenomenal and it, it's very it's right there and the type of fantasy that you and I are kind of just like craving that we want more of is this like barbarian warrior the eternal champion and it's I think you'd really like Michael Moorcock like and his whole he literally makes a multiverse out of these type of out of this genre that's cool like it's it's Elric it's the eternal champion um, and it's someone else I forget and he even wrote songs for Blue Oyster Cult, uh, a song called Black Blade <laughs> off of uh, Cultosaurus Erectus. Um, it, I'll send it to you after this. I just got to remember it. But, dude, it is such a bitchin' song. And then you're just like, this is 
fucking the comics I was showing you last night when we were on Zoom <laughs> uh, when I was just showing my books. Uh, that's all Elric stuff, um, and that's oh, that's what that yeah. You kept showing me. I was like, why are you showing me the same thing like eight times? What are you doing right now? <laughs> uh, I know so you confused. said you weren't reading King and Black, um, but no, you know about no, right? Yeah, yeah. Dude, Venom God, Venom God. That I I can't say it's a direct ripoff, but that is Elric. In the oh, so it's universe. got like the that whole thing is very like high, fa- not ha- I guess like high fantasy, but like heavy metal comboed. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. I guess that's the way. I want heavy metal fantasy. You know what I mean? That's like what I want and what I crave, and that's what Fire and Ice is, and that's what Frenzetta artwork does for this because there's like it's so weird because <laughs> it's uh, you know you know saying it out loud like when you want like a half naked characters that are just super buff just slaying stuff with swords going on crazy journeys um on paper you know that doesn't sound too appealing You're like but, what yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but then when you look at like frenzetta's artwork which is basically what i just described you're just like oh no yeah i want more of that like that's, yeah you're you, just, you don't just... think about that kind of weird i guess societal like thought process it gets more into like well this is how this world is and you know in this world these things happen and you're just like okay that's dope man show me more yeah exactly uh jason aaron's conan run dude that was that pulled me in and i went and hunted down all 12 of those issues because that's just what i wanted um it's so cool and you know we haven't had i feel like conan might have been the last kind of taste of this type of universe that we had towards like fire and ice and within this realm it's the Um, most known at this point Definitely too most known, yeah. yeah but you know it, it is i know we haven't talked too much about the storyline of fire and ice right the story yeah but uh <laughs> it's, it, essentially you know i i do like this whole the the batman like character the savage barbarian batman, dark wolf yeah dark wolf yeah he kind of reminds me of the you know, Batman uh, was traveling through time and Grant Morrison's run. Oh, dude, that I was feel so, like that's yeah. like Morrison saw Dark Wolf and was like, "This is how I want Batman in this issue to look I'm, in like the prehistoric era, or whatever." Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 the BC Batman. That was and, so dope, dude. Uh, even the oh, I meant to, I forgot to mention when you know the monster scenes where they get pulled and like kind of moved around and all that. Yeah, that was all still rotoscoped. What they did is that they used cranes and they grabbed them, and that's how they just changed out the crane with a creature. Oh, that's dope. Okay. Yeah, that's super cool. Um but um I forgot where I was going with all of that. I guess the different characters, right? Oh yeah. Um well I mean there's like what five characters and I really I don't know, maybe you could break them down a bit better than I can because I it's, feel like I mean I also got was... the MDB just in case, but it was pretty much like was it Larn who is that warrior is like the protagonist mm-hmm. he is part of a people that are f- like in the beginning of the movie are the first ones hit by the ice kingdom and by necron right necron the, the, he's yeah. the leader of the ice kingdom he was raised by his mother uh juliana who is like she just raised her son to become like a crazy sorcerer power like he can control ice he's very powerful and he's using the ice to expand like to the point where like and like the defenders of their area like Larn and his people try to defend and all it takes is the ice to break down their defenses and then like all these like neanderthal type uh goons to like his soldiers to come in and just wipe them out because they just lost like 
a bunch of their people to the ice and also like have no more defensive like barriers and stuff so they just get picked off and uh you see like his uh basically his civilization falls and you have dark wolf who is from a previously fallen civilization it looks like because you see his ruins of like his people and you're like oh he's like the last of his people like larn is at this point and you get like the fire kingdom and it's like the king there and he has like a son and a daughter and the daughter's name is tigra and you know she's the one that gets kidnapped by those uh by necron's ice like his uh neanderthal uh cave dudes uh-huh. but it's pretty much just about rescuing her like they they te- like uh Lauren and dark wolf team up and just to stop necron but also meet tigra along the way and you know they're like we have to save her too and it's just that that's pretty much the whole thing is the adventure of stopping necron and saving the princess I feel like you gave so much more description than that movie actually gives us to. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, it, <laughs> because there's barely any dialogue. It's just yeah. like a lot of just, th- th- I don't know. It, it's so I was like, I could have sworn it was different. I thought it was longer. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. it's um, Dude, that's why I told you last night. Like, I was like, I saw the first 20 minutes and I paused it for a bit because I was like, nothing's happened yet. <laughs> it's one of those things. It's beautiful. It's captivating, and you're you know on your edge of your seat because you're like, what what's going to go on in this world? But like nothing, literally, you you're you see uh the two characters, first two characters, and then it's like you see you start off with a battle, you see a conflict, and then all of a sudden you know the princess gets kidnapped, and then you're just like, oh, we got to go save her, and that's like that's like then the movie ends. Like and even uh what's his name, the wolf guy. Wolf. dark wolf dark wolf um his ending is so you see him uh, you know uh stabbing necron and then like the explosions and you're like that's it like he was in here for like 20 minutes and you see like, him on the horse and he smiles and he disappears and you're like where'd he go yeah you're just like all right well i don't know it, just, it felt very again that the reasons behind yeah. the script and the story you know it's knowing that like walking into this film i was just like i kind of know what to expect right off the bat and it just I, I, I think for me, more. it comes down to like, there's every now and again, this actually is probably one of my top two now, most, not disappointing, but like, it it could have been so much more. And it's yeah. like one of these two things now where I'm just going to keep thinking about probably for a very long time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because the only other movie that does that to me is uh, Mobile Suit Gundam F91, I believe. And uh-huh. it's a movie that should have been a whole show and it's so short and doesn't even it finishes off like on a cliffhanger and it's one of these ones where it doesn't relate to the other it's like part of that main Gundam line of shows and movies and stuff but it has so much like from what I watched it has so much promise of like oh my god this is like really interesting but then it just cuts off and you're like that's that that's it that's it and it it just does that thing that it, you feel you can feel that there was supposed to be more and you could feel that it's unfinished. And that's what this one does to me now uh, for fire and ice as well. And mm-hmm. it's, it, it's going to linger there. And it's one of those things where, like I said, it, I'm just going to be researching now and like looking into things and be like, why, why, why? Yes, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the concept's great. Like the title and the concept itself, it's so simple, fire and ice. And then you have like a guy that controls ice and then, you know, the other opposing power, you know, like it's, it's so simplistic, but it's so, and the cover and the characters look so perfect, man. Yeah. Wolf it's amazing. Just all of them, it's just, uh, 
I, yeah, it breaks your heart. You're just like, I, I really wanted this to be so fleshed out, like, and so enthralling, you know? Like, why aren't there comic book spinoffs? Why aren't we talking about it more? It's like, okay, I can see why now at this point, you know? Yeah. But, uh, I yeah, maybe we could uh, dive in and try to find the original script and check that out and then kind of do a follow-up quick video about it uh, just to see how much lore that there really was and how captivating this film was supposed to be. Yeah, I'd definitely be down for that for sure. But um, I don't know. I, I think to wrap it up, honestly, like I give it, I give it the best, like six out of ten it can be. Like this is like gold tier, six out of ten. You know, just because the story is lacking so much, I have to deduct a bunch of points out of that. But dude, I I would rewatch this movie. Uh, I want to rewatch um, it already. Yeah, I, like I want to watch it again. Like it's it's just so cool. <laughs> yes, like it it deserves. I would buy the Blu-ray. I would if they had figures of this. I would buy the figures. Like it, it is if they do comics out of it. I will buy the comics. Like it is so damn good. Like and it's so interesting. And it's this world we want more of it. And I'm only sad we don't get enough. You know I'm craving it. But um phenomenal and i feel like this just goes along with all the movies we've talked about so far somehow they've all just been way better and so much cooler than i could have ever imagined yeah um, i mean i feel like we also pre- predetermined and we're like oh let's pick all these amazing, <laughs> amazing well, i mean well some of these we hadn't i hadn't seen fire nice yet you know it's true I mean? this, it's very true i hadn't seen i haven't seven seen american yet. pop yet either Mas- and i i never saw seven. Oh, i know i did see the seven that's right uh but yeah no for sure and yeah. i mean like next I've never seen THX or American Graffiti for like May, so that's never like gonna be American new for me. American Graffiti, so it'll be you know that we have some we have some specific choices, but they are a lot of them are undefined yet. You know, it's just assumptions and you know pre hype. You know, pretty much. But uh, I I, I want to I'm hyped. Like I want to read my Conan books now and go find some Conan comics and whatnot. Like I just want to get more of this universe. We should play Conan Exiles on Xbox. In fact, forget your other podcast today. Let's just. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> I'll I'll see if it's on sale. I'll figure something out. Maybe I think it's on Game maybe. Pass. Maybe I'm pretty sure. Oh, if it's on Game Pass. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll start that. That's up. gonna be easy. <laughs> I got that forever. Yeah, I'm good. But you know, Bakshi, I respect him. He is an amazing creator. He has definitely made his mark on the cartooning world. Um, he definitely has some stories to tell. This may not be his best work, but it is, it's so, it's kind of like the DC films. It is filled with amazing people on it, you know? The writers, the artists, dude, Eon Flux, Frank Franzetta, Conway, uh, Thomas, these are all top tier names, you know, in this industry. Yeah. And it just sucks we didn't get like top tier, like quality. Story. Story. Yeah, yeah. Like just the true adventure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I hope this does, you know, whoever checks out this movie kind of opens up to this area of high fantasy that, you know, we're talking about and aiming for. Because um, if I write fantasy, this is the type of fantasy I would want to write. Um, as much as I adore and admire Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and all of that, like I think it's enthralling and mystical and perfect. This is where I'm like, this is where the adventure's at. This is the undiscovered, uncharted region we get like tarzan and conan and that's kind of it you know like this is so such an untapped area you just have to find the right recipe like uh edgar rice burroughs stuff yeah yeah like it's uh yeah it's cool stuff um for sure i definitely 
you know, this being what his technically his last little run of films, maybe he was just wearing out and tired too. Cause a 10 year gap between this and cool world, it's a pretty long time to jump back into the industry. It's very um, true. Yeah. But I don't know. Any final thoughts on it? Um, no, I think I've honestly said everything I've wanted to just, you know, yeah. Yeah. Freaking savage Batman. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dope. I gotta make a promo image with both of them and compare them. Just dark, dark wolf. That's probably gonna be the. That's probably the promo. Is this dark wolf? Yeah. <laughs> just show dark wolf. It's so. funny because he's maybe in the movie for like ten or fifteen minutes. If that. Every time he's in there, though, everyone's dead. <laughs> he just kills <laughs> everybody. <laughs> you just, just watch him mow down five guys within five. You're just like, oh, they're. That was incredibly like they didn't even have a chance to do anything against him. He just took them all out. It's well, crazy. I was watching this like making of on this film too, and they were saying that like when they were doing some of these action sequences, they really had to use force to get that, like that kind of real true movement to put into the animation. Cause if they would have gone any slower, you could tell it's kind of wigged out. So they really had to kind of hit and defend and block and whatnot. And there was a lot of work that went into the stunts because of that movement. And you can see when they swing an ax, like they're swinging something heavy and it's hitting something, you know? Um, it's, you know, if, if if anyone is watching or even view right after this, just like look into rotoscoping and look into like the actors doing it and then try to see the same clip where it's from. And you're going to be like, holy crap, it's so, it's weird. It's like when you play that skin on Spider-Man where you're like the animated Spider-Man, but you're in like oh, the play world. It kind of feels yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, Good stuff. Interesting. Very unique work. Uh, I'm, uh, American Pop is on the other end of the spectrum. Like, it's kind of like almost a historical piece to a certain extent, you know? I'm looking forward to it. Um, like I said, first watch for that one, so that'll be brand new for me. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. And uh, as a musician growing up, it really just hit me at the time I actually sat down and saw it. And it just, uh, I mean, I, I it's going to be a good good watch. I can guarantee that. But, man, yeah, I think I'm out of facts. <laughs> no worries. Well, I told you I was excited about this. Film. Yeah, you were very excited. Man, we just, yeah, I, I, I figured. I was like, I'm just going to let him talk and just see what he has to say. And it worked. <laughs> <laughs> but, man, uh, Brandon, where can people find you, man? Check out Apollo City Comics on all podcast networks. And we just made a new YouTube channel. So be sure to uh, check us out there. There's links on our Instagram and social media. So hit us up. Nice. All right. Well, you can also find me on Twitter at GoGoComzilla. And, you know, you're already here. You're listening to Sutra Sidewatch on the Sutra Side Talk channel. But, of course, you can listen to the actual show, Sutra Side Talk, which is weekly. Talk about uh, game, movie, TV show news. We also got Cut of Steel, where Brandon and I are both on that. And we talk with uh, three other people about uh, the DCEU one film at a time. We're on hiatus right now, but we did a... Uh, two-part episode on Zack Snyder's Justice League, which mm-hmm. you can catch, of course, on any podcast platform. And, of course, there's up to it, down to it, where uh, me and some friends, actually, if you guys listened to an earlier episode of Sidewatch, Miles still is on it. Uh, we talk just about a random topic and then just go off the rails from there. It's probably the most ridiculous of the shows and is very, like, once a month or if even at that. It's very just, like, here and there. <laughs> but that's... Uh, this has been Sutra Sidewatch, and we'll catch you guys in two weeks for American Pop. Awesome. Thanks for hanging, man. Yeah. See you. <laughs>